Funny how secrets travel on I start to believe If I were to bleed Things guide the man Chains his hands Held high Cause then we'll be able to talk Cause then we'll be able to take our time Like David did on this film <laughs> Okay so fuck yes Welcome to After Hype with me your host as always Brian Dressel with me as always is Jonathan Hardesty I kind of enjoyed this movie Ryan James <laughs> uh, Chewie cannot be here today For other reasons again She's stuck in that goddamn superstore um, When will they let her leave? I know They should make a show about superstores It'd They should be something else What if they, they just called it Superstore? Ooh, then I might be in trouble for calling it the goddamn superstore. Oh, they could also put it on NBC on that's Thursdays. Their, that yeah. should be their Twitter <laughs> there account. We go. That yeah. should be their Twitter account, the, the goddamn, goddamn superstore. <laughs> uh, so you just heard his voice. Our special guest today is Chris Ortiz. Hi, Chris. How's it going, everybody? Uh, Chris, do you have anything big in your life you'd like to plug right out of the gate? Uh, nothing at the moment right now. Perfect. Um, I love that plug. <laughs> <laughs> Keeps this shit nice and tight. So we'll move right into where have you been doing. Chris, where have you been doing? Uh, okay, I guess I'll start this off. Uh, recently, I've been watching Riverdale. I don't know if anybody else at this table I really want to watch it. it, but I haven't started yet. Oh, it's so good. It's like Twin Peaks with Dawson's Creek. Only <laughs> Dawson's Creek kids learn to shut the fuck up and let the Twin Peaks shit happen. All right. I, <laughs> what? It's great. <laughs> Now, I've never been a fan of Archie. Will I still enjoy it? Not like I don't like it. I just never really got into it. Well, I think the deal is, and I think like uh, what you just heard me say is, is that it is legitimately like Archie by way of Twin Peaks and yeah. appropriately David Lynch, who we're talking about today on the <laughs> podcast. Um, but and what I mean by that is, is that like, you know, it's all about like the underbelly of uh, small town USA and that type of deal. And the Archie comics, if you haven't been reading them recently, I actually highly recommend them because they've gotten much, much better. In a I've heard they've been really good lately, but I, I haven't gotten into them. They have, and then I've like I've been trying to track down some of the uh, more interesting ones because I heard that they what they do is is that they kind of almost have them in alternate universes now. Like they have Archie goes afterlife or something like that, which I haven't read, That's but weird. I've heard yeah. everybody say is actually really good. Huh. But yeah, Riverdale's been my thing, and uh, watching a lot of Archie and reading a couple of the new Archie comics. That's uh, where have I been? Cool, Ryan. What about you? All right, I've uh, been hanging out with Chewie's neighbor from Superstore, um, Powerless, the new DC oh, nice. comics show about a bunch of people who have no powers. Uh, however, they end up working for Wayne Tech, and they basically make devices that give normal people superpowers or protect normal people from superheroes. Uh, this stars Vanessa Hudgens, who cannot stop acting like she's in High School Musical. Uh, and unfortunately, the rest of the cast thinks they're on community. So it's a really big clash of tones. Uh, Alan Tudyk's great. Watch it for him. So I've heard the the major thing that people tell me, tell me if I'm right, or tell me if they're right, uh, it feels supremely rushed. Could, uh, no, it doesn't bother me. Okay. It feels, I, just, I heard yeah. that it sounds like they got a good idea. And like, make it right now! And then they did, instead of like developing the idea. Oh, uh, sure. Yeah, it just kind of feels uh, flat. Wasn't there also a thing about there was a, a, a pilot a pilot that was I was just about to Comic-Con, say, yeah, I remember then, like, hearing they, about that. They recut it to be a little bit more something or other, but it became, I don't know. Like, I don't there was know some what it controversy became. around that. Like, um, hmm. This sounds a lot less like a DC television show and a lot more like a DC movie. <laughs> it just feels like a CW television show instead. No, oh, I, like I like CW. The, yeah, the I was going to say, but the CW shows are good. Okay. Did you not watch the, the Legends of Tomorrow where it was all about George Lucas? That was uh, fucking uh, awesome. Or Riverdale. Uh, <laughs> the other CW. Your, your opinion is wrong. Uh, John, what about you? Where have you been doing? Been listening to podcasts. I, I do. I like that. You know, just to see kind of what what's going on out there in the podcast world. So you're cheating on us again. I got it. Yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, I particularly liked an uh, episode of Waypoint Radio where they decided to break down the Souls series and kind of figure out what that genre would entail. Since the game Neo came out for PlayStation, which review- reviewers are saying it's like a Dark Souls with samurai and stuff like that, but so they decided to take souls as a genre and kind of pick apart what was the crucial elements to a souls game was it the the, you know the bonfire sanctuaries between two hard points was that kind of a major crucial element to the genre and they they broke it down very academically and it was surprisingly engaging to listen to Hmm. i'm gonna check it out because the the reviews i've been seeing about neo say that it's very soulsy like Uh but doesn't have the same fairness that souls has right and they even brought that up too so i was like is, is that an element of it the kind of uh you know, difficult but fair element is that a, like they they kind of waffled between having that as a minor requirement for the genre versus a yeah. major one, but then this game had more loot. Neo has a, a lot more loot based versus yeah. 
just everything has every item has a story. So like okay. they go into that in a very academic way, and I was very surprised. And I didn't actually leave my car until I was done with the episode. It's <laughs> <laughs> kind of fun though. Yeah, I'll check it out. Um, so I, after recording last week's episode, went and saw John Wick Chapter Two. <laughs> eh. Uh, I'm so sorry. Oh, no. If you listen to our episode on John Wick, you will hear every reason why I did not like John Wick 2. We predicted Mm -hmm. everything (laughs) that they did wrong. It was just like, well, this movie was so good because it didn't do this. They did it. Every single thing that we said it was so good because it didn't do, they do it in this one. And it's like, fuck. At least it had a cohesive plot, unlike certain films that we will be talking about today. I mean, yeah, I guess it did. But, like, there was no heart in this one. There was so much heart in John Wick. And this one's just like, he's back to work. Mm-hmm. So, like, it was fun. The action is impeccably well shot. It's a very, very well-made movie and totally worth people's time. But as uh, does it hold up as a sequel? Eh, it's fine. I, I, Sounds I know. like most sequels. Well, yeah, but I think because the reviews technically are higher for the sequel than it was for the first one, I think people are really getting their hopes up for it, and I'm here to bring them back down to a reasonable level and realize that you're still just watching a sequel to a movie that was a lot of fun, but that was what it was supposed to be. It was a lot of fun. Well, for something that feels like you know, The Raid but with guns, having yeah. the sequel be lesser than kind of feels like a disappointment. Yeah, a little bit. I mean, it's not it, – like I said, it is not a bad movie by any stretch. It's just it did not have that special feel. Like when you watch – John Wick it's like I'm watching something fresh and new and awesome and this one is like I've seen this like how many times can I watch Keanu Reeves jump up grapple a guy by the head shoot somebody else then shoot that guy in the head because it happens like 20 times in John Wick too so it's like after a while it's like this was really cool and now it just <laughs> yeah. keeps happening so it gets a little redundant and a little kind of but I sound I'm trying to be as negative as it as I can so that when you go see it you're like oh he was full of shit it was a ton of fun yeah yeah because, yeah, when I went into it having everyone tell me it was the greatest thing since sliced bread, I was severely disappointed. Not a bad movie. Not a great one, though, either. Um, Get ready for sp- part three. Yeah. Speaking of which, let's talk about Lost, Hi- Lost Highway. <laughs> <laughs> great transition, Brian. <laughs> oh, boy. I really wish this is this is uh, I'm always saddened when my wife cannot join us for the podcast. This one is a special case because this is one of her favorite movies. Um, I'm very sorry that she can't be here. It's part of the reason why we put it on here. That also... Because what day does this come out? It's like the this episode will drop on. I can do math in my head, or I can look at my phone. Thursday. <laughs> Thanks. That's that's the solid date. Uh, <laughs> me, it was this will come out Thursday, which is five days before the actual twenty year anniversary of Lost Highway. Wait, the twenty eighth. Twenty. Yeah. That's my mom's birthday. How do you like that? Ah. Um, does she you like get your movie? mom Lost Highway? Yeah. <laughs> If you don't love I should her, get her something. Thanks <laughs> for reminding me. <laughs> there you go. Happy birthday, mom. Um, so yeah, I think that's kind of a cool like. I like twenty anniversary things. That's kind of fun. We've done it before for this show. So I figured Lost Highway was a good one to do because a lot of people remember this movie differently than what it is. Um, <laughs> yeah. yeah, much so let's like st- Bill Pullman. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so let's get into what it is with a segment we like to call a thirty-second breakdown. Breakdown. Chris, are you ready for this? Uh, no, I am not ready for this one. I don't think anybody is ready or could be ready for this one. Do you think you can break down the entirety of Lost Highway? Oh, God, no, we are not. No, are you kidding me? No. Do you need a whiteboard? <laughs> I may I may need some whiteboards, some charts. Um, I'm, I'm actually going to be starting a community college course, breaking down the plot. <laughs> you all want to sign up for next semester. Uh, I. Uh, it's funny because I was debating and having everyone do. I'm not going to because it would take too much time. But I was going to have everyone do their own version of a 30-second breakdown just to see what all <laughs> of us thought fucking happened in this movie. Um, but well, th- I'm going to try something a little bit different. We talked about it a little bit beforehand. Okay. I'm going to try to actually, I'm going to do this as if I was David Lynch saying the plot of I, Lost Highway. I don't think you have the right hair. I don't have the right <laughs> hair. It's because I have no hair specifically. Um, but I'm going to try it. Off to a rough start. All right. <laughs> All right. You ready to go? Yes. Okay. <laughs> All right, 30 seconds. Go, 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 go. So Lost Highway is about a saxophonist who has a wife, and they have sex a lot. And there's a creepy guy who's dressed like some kabuki-looking motherfucker. (laughs) And, uh, yeah, he's in two places at once at certain points. And then Richard Pryor shows up just because I like having him around. And then uh, Robert Loggia shows up because uh, halfway through the film, I just told Bill Pullman to fuck off. And then I bought in another guy who's... What a tremendous failure. 
<laughs> yeah, that was uh, that was abysmal. Is the word I'll use. Um, and my insult to you this week was that was fuck, I, man. There, there's so much to go for. Um, what that was accurate because it was <laughs> his. Um, David Lynch was a little flat. Yeah, his David Lynch was a little flat. You know, I would say that was as uh, mind-numbing as trying to explain this movie to anyone else. Um, oh, oh, really? Was yeah. it? So I don't know. I just tried much, it. Much in David Lynch's own way, your review of the your breakdown of the movie is a review of your breakdown. <laughs> this feels very Lynchian, right? Whoa, whoa! Here, I'm gonna I'm gonna what move the camera happened? around a little bit to get this like. Oh, <laughs> take it in and out of focus and. <laughs> No, no, no. What you need, if we're going to do this Lynchian thing properly, is we need some like creature holding that guitar playing Johnny Cash or something Yeah, like there you that. go. Or just like somebody standing behind you in white face paint. Or like a bunny head for no reason. <laughs> <laughs> or somebody going, I'm in your house right now. <laughs> I, like, okay, I'm going to get this out of the way right now. Lin- David Lynch is a brilliant filmmaker. Absolutely. I don't think any, you can't argue that. Even when you don't like his films, as you probably guessed, I did not like this one. Um... Unfortunately, like, it's a weird movie because it's impeccably edited. It's impeccably shot. There isn't a single thing out of place in this movie. Yeah, like, it's everything- really weird. It's just, I'm like, actually, it's, because it's so weird, it's like, I just can't get into like the surrealism on the same level as I think he is it like that he likes to put his films into at now, points. This was uh this is like one of I say like three of his trippiest movies. Yes. Like he has three films that like I'd say this is like the bottom of it. It's like here, Mulholland Drive, Inland Empire. Yes. Um and like you can see like there's elements that he started here that he later perfected in Mulholland Drive. And then got really drunk with an Inland Empire. Um, Sometime I need your opinion on what happens in Eraserhead, because <laughs> if that makes more sense than this to you, see the thing is, like I don't. What see, happens in Eraserhead? In heaven, everything is fine. <laughs> That's it. Yeah. See, there's something about Eraserhead to me where it just doesn't feel like these other three to me. I know. Like there's, it's just yeah, it's just first movie. So. Well, yeah. Uh, so it's it's just different. Um, yeah. But this one, there, there's something special about Lost Highway. There's like reasons why <laughs> Romstein, really. Yeah. <laughs> Marilyn Manson dying. David yeah, Bowie. Like, there's so many just like layers to unfold. So we usually go through and we talk about characters and that sort of stuff. But really, I just kind of want to talk about like what the fuck happens in this movie because you can throw a dart in the internet and find anyone under the sun who thinks they have what really happened in Lost Highway. Four, and they're all completely fucking different. Right. I went to four websites to find out what actually happened in the movie, and there were four different viewpoints yeah. on what happened in the movie. Didn't help me any. Yeah. <laughs> so let's get started. Yeah. I really like the idea that this was a sequel to Man of Steel. Um, <laughs> I thought that it was really I thought it was really interesting, the direction that he took, that um, David Lynch took Superman into. Yeah, it, and, it was a weird uh, idea, but you know, yes. it works. Like, you really know, I, I especially <laughs> like the Robert Burke as Mr. P- Mixopidlick. <laughs> That's what. I, that's literally what I'm doing. What I'm doing is I'm going through my head. Is I'm like, okay, this is an alternate universe. I think he'd do great in Aquaman. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Remember, originally he was going to do Return of the Jedi, which actually I think would have been a brilliant film if he did do it. It would have been a different movie, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah, um, a lot more boobs. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but okay, let, let's actually get started here. Let's, I want to talk a little bit about kind of like what do we think actually happened in this movie. So the common theory, the common thread that most people go through is that Bill Pullman, if you want to take the movie as it is on screen, has the ability to change his body. Just completely, when things get too stressed, he turns into somebody else. And I think that's kind of a, I, I think, personally, I think that's taking David Lynch a little too on the nose. Uh, right. Is it though? I mean, like with him and everything, I mean, it's like you say that, but I mean like, David Lynch has always kind of been about like you know not making movies for like the physical, but almost making movies like your like your mind does, almost like a dreamlike state. Sure, I sure. mean, if there's one thing that David Lynch has, I think, has perfected over over his career is is that he really nails like dream logic in his pictures right. at certain points, specifically Mahal- Inland Empire. Yeah, in Inland, well, yeah, Mah- Inland Empire, Mulholland Drive, and Lost Highway, I think, are all like dream logic in that like yeah. they all make sense. On a almost subconscious level, but like when you bring him up to the surface, you have no idea what the fuck is going on. Yeah, I felt, I felt really primed to watch this movie after playing like hours upon hours of The Witness, where it's like <laughs> the concept is not that like this is nothing is linear here. Yeah, and if you like as an editor, I'm like I, I kind of can get behind this in in a weird way because like things aren't where they belong in linear See, time. But and that's I think, the thing. So if you believe that he has the ability to change himself, it is linear. It's yeah. completely linear. So naturally, I don't, I don't go toward that that viewpoint. Yeah. And my thought is that he, you know, he got electrocuted. He died, and the movie is just his like. So it's like Mulholland Drive with that box, right? Sure. I mean, so, the, yeah, that's kind of where I'm leaning with with that. But like, I'm ready to hear. I mean, I'm ready to. 
I like the, the the theory that I've seen around the most and kind of what I was thinking when I watched this way back probably 10 years ago. I don't think I saw it when it came out. I was a little young for something this fucked up. Um, but Dude, like This movie I, came out, I think, almost as within the year of Independence Day. Can you imagine a kid being like, Mom, I want to see the President of the United <laughs> States in this. I want to see him banging Patricia Arquette. Way! <laughs> And then lose his boner and not be able to do it. Like Yay! 35 minutes later, Robert Burke shows up. Mom is like, we're getting the fuck out of here. <laughs> um, but the, the theory that I've always kind of enjoyed the most is that uh, it, it's it's all you you're only it's one person's movie. It's entirely Bill Pullman's character's movie. And everything that you see is either reality or his dream world. And when things get too tough for him, he snaps and he goes into his dream world where everything's a little bit easier, where he's this like no-nonsense teenager who doesn't really have to worry about things just wants to bang a hot chick and so i kind of like that idea and i think it really it kind of plays out when you think about it kind of well it sort of works you lose it at the end when he's the one who left himself the message but for the most part i think it kind of works if there was really a message at all true yeah yeah, I mean, David Lynch is all about the subjective when it comes to a lot of his films. He's all about, well, you know, you got to put, like, your own, like, you know, experiences within this yeah. and everything else like that. So, I mean, like, his movies, I mean, you just said the four theory. You talked about the four theories and everything. Like, he's right. All four of those theories could actually be correct because David Lynch is known for just being like, no, that's correct. No, that's correct. No, that's correct. And just, well, like, I mean, being like, it's up to you. Yeah, And I kind of appreciate that in a little bit because I think with, like, lesser filmmakers, those just kind of come across as in, like, lazy of just like yeah i didn't have an idea i think he has an idea of what happened but he doesn't want to change your idea yeah he wants your he wants you to have your own idea with this exactly he's really big on that yeah Yeah, so it's kind of like what i got really annoyed with uh, guillermo del toro for when he came out and said the end of pan's labyrinth is exactly what you saw no no no, she died and she went off to live in the fairyland i'm like i liked being able to interpret like is this happening or not Mm -hmm. right and then when you take that away from us it, it ruins the experience a little bit and lynch is great about never ruining that experience and what's great about these other options, these other ways that these could go down, is that they still follow the logic of the movie, the dream state logic. So they're oh, not yeah. breaking their own rules, and you can actually argue really well for each of the ways that this thing like plays out. Yeah. And it's why like I'm starting to appreciate it more and more as I kind of percolate on it. Like yeah. after the movie, I'm just like, what? And now that I'm like in kind of puzzle mode, I'm puzzling over these details. Yeah. And it's, this becomes a fun movie almost to puzzle over. I mean, which, that's, that's not a fun Lynch. movie to watch, but it is fun to puzzle over. Yeah, I it's, think. it's a really fun movie to discuss. Like, it's a great movie to watch and then sit for like half an hour and then watch it a second time and go, all right, what the fuck did I just see? And it's just kind of like a, and then when you kind of bring it up with people and you see like, John probably got something completely different than I did. And then it's just kind of fun seeing how that all kind of happened. It's kind of like a Donald Trump press conference when you think about <laughs> it. <laughs> that's so sad. <laughs> and true, unfortunately. Um, but I mean, like, yeah, because I mean, he's too talented for you to just dismiss everything. And I mean, like I said, I did not like the film. I don't like the film. I think right. Mulholland Drive. Um, I haven't seen Inland Empire in a long time. Yeah, I saw it at the music box when it came out, and I haven't oh, watched it again. Lord. I was like, I, I've seen it. I don't need to see it again. <laughs> yeah, it's like one of those types of things where I'm like, you can stay away from me. And I mean, Ooh. he's done like, um, it like, and I love Blue Velvet, but I think with him is is that he. He knows his technology cold, and you could tell that with some of the shots that he does, where you could just pause it, and the lighting in it and the composition is just absolutely perfect. Oh, and the way that he plays with mirrors, especially like Bill Pullman stuff, of mm-hmm. like, is he seeing a mirror or is he seeing himself going to kill somebody? And like, the, if there's an entire breakdown in line that uh, if I can find it, we'll try to throw some links on the website so you can kind of see what we're talking about. But there's a guy who uh, literally watched the movie again and again and again just to do out the floor plan of their apartment. I think I read that one because yeah. it's really cool because a lot of people say it's kind of like The Shining where it intentionally does not make sense mm-hmm. and like no no it totally makes sense it just proves that there's two Bill Pullman in the apartment there's him oh. and then there's like an evil version of him and he has a duplicate like that's how he goes down his rabbit hole because there's no way it doesn't work that none of this could have happened if there wasn't two Bill Pullman well, it's almost like <laughs> it's, almost, it's almost like he's got like his id version or something like yeah. that and then he's got like well know, it's like the the mirror bizarro version of Bill Pullman yes who well, became president of the United States? Plays the Jack's end, Bill Pullman. Because <laughs> when he's on the intercom, he's completely different in posture, stature, yeah. and attitude than when he answers the intercom. So, like, yeah, you could totally play it that way that there's two of them split. And then you have the theory that the reason he's so fucked up in the morning is because it's right after he killed Patricia Arquette. And they're playing with times. Like, he just got done murdering his wife. And the rest of the time, she's not actually there. And he's just imagining her there. And it's like, there's so many layers to this movie. Yeah. Then there's that line he tells the detectives that he doesn't like to be uh, filmed. 
because he likes to remember things how he wants to remember them. Yeah. And it, that line, I started to kind of get an idea like, okay, hold on. I cannot be taking this at linear value. No, you can't take, you, you, you can't really, take any data. You can't film trust a single frame in the movie. And that's kind of what I like about it. Yeah. Like, it's such an unreliable narrator. It's like the nth degree that when they try it now, it pales in comparison. Well, I think you just nailed the nail on the head where you just said you can't take this in a linear value. And the thing is with Lynch is, is that a lot of his films, um, he doesn't – I mean, it's kind of ironic that like for other filmmakers, Boo Velvet would be considered to be the most extreme film they've made. For Lynch, it's just like par for the course. Yeah, it's, um, it's got a three-act structure to it, which most of most his, of his films don't. do not. Yeah, you're this right. This one fucking doesn't. <laughs> and this is what I mean. Like, you know, it's like like a lot of his films are elliptical in nature, where like the beginning of it is actually the end, and the end of it is actually the beginning, and it's just sure. kind of like almost like this circular structure where you have but all with, like, these things like, slightly ideas. different too. So yes. it's like yeah. very kind of a, a not quite right. He's like, this feels like the, yeah, this is connected to the very beginning of the movie, but not. It isn't really though. It makes yeah. you kind of it. Confu- it bothers you internally, like on a psychological level. And which that's is this movie really does a good job of that. Just yeah. kind of like, wait, what the fuck am I watching? Like, it does a really good job of like, it, of like why I keep saying how you can't trust anything that he says or anything he does or anything he sees. Like, you look at his apartment, and that's not how anyone would ever decorate an apartment, and you can believe that that even, was all insanely intentional. Even for oh, the absolutely. time, even yeah. for the time, having the VCR in such a weird place versus the yeah. television. Well, you look at like the couch is like in a weird corner and then yeah. there's no art in the wall. And they like a lot of things that I've, I've read and kind of looked into and I totally believe is that because you're not seeing things as they are. You're th- seeing things exactly how he said, how he likes to remember them. Well, also, I think like um, I'm going to make like kind of a comparison. You guys can tell me if you think this is accurate or not. Like David Lynch, um, <laughs> I tend to compare him on a cerebral level to Stanley Kubrick because Kubrick would also oh, sure, do yeah. some of those uh-huh. types of things in his films, especially with set design. Um, he would for lack of a better term, he would fuck around with the audience with editing and everything else like that where like if he wanted you to feel disoriented, what he would do is in between takes is he would adjust things like ever so slightly on tables and that type of thing because subconsciously you would start feeling a little bit like woozy or nauseous and stuff. A good example of that is Clockwork Orange. <sighs> um, with Yeah, that would be a double feature with this film. Um, with like when um, he's drinking the wine when he's at the guy's house again, um, the wine glass keeps shifting. The, the, the glasses on the table actually keep shifting to do different yeah. glasses and the level of wine keeps shifting and he and you would think that's a continuity error no he actually did that intentionally because he wanted you subconsciously to be like something is off with this wine I don't feel okay and what's fascinating and, with that is like uh, Kubrick is playing in linear like literal space yes whereas like Lynch, Lynch is like the complete level. opposite yeah. of that where it's like he's like <laughs> the upside down yeah they're very <laughs> complimentary directors but yeah. like uh, Kubrick's films are much easier to swallow. Like, oh, yes, every time. I agree. And they might be a little bit more disturbing because what you're seeing is actually happening. It's not mental. So it's a little bit harder to break away from what you're seeing. Whereas like Lynch movies, I have a feeling like many people watch this movie and think it's not disturbing or weird at all. And then other people watch them like that movie is just too fucked up for me to handle. Well, no, I was just trying to make a connection and saying that my interpretation of it is that it's actually a sequel to Clockwork Orange, um, <laughs> where Alex is clearly Bill Pullman. I'm just going to keep clearly, these yeah, going. Clearly, yeah. I mean, it's all, it's absolutely clear to me. It's a prequel like inception, day, of course. Yes. Day 63 without the milk. <laughs> um, but was there any other theories that you saw that you guys or that you guys had about this movie that you think was uh, like what actually happened in it, or do you believe any of the ones that you've heard, or you well, think it's something else? Those we kind of covered those, but I'm I'm curious now about the liter- like the literal version like that I, that I saw like that just literally happened. He shape shifted into someone sel- someone else and replaced him. And well, the, like the big argument for that one's the end of the movie when he's driving away and he's shape shifting again and he's mm-hmm. like because that that ending does kind of punctuate that that thought process. Yeah. But then, what keeps coming? Like I keep coming back to is like the electric chair. They uh, like electrocute him. If you think he's dead, that's just the shock of it. Yeah. Right. So like, but I know I, I find the more literal version just as fascinating as these kind of more e- e- ethereal ones. Yeah. Like you could take it literally, and the imagery does really play to that. But it's gonna go with time travel also. Well, I, I don't it's I, time travel. <laughs> there's, there's got. I think there's an element of time travel to it. Yeah, that, I, I was actually being yeah, serious yeah, about yeah, that. No, one. Yeah, I, like. I, I think there. I don't think there's a way that there isn't. But I still think that I buy more into the whole of uh, attachment of reality. Like when things get too much for him to handle, mm-hmm. he switches, and we're still just seeing everything from his point of view. That's why things are always fucked up in his apartment. Why it doesn't really make sense. Um, and then there's like really weird little things that uh, I had never noticed until I started kind of doing more research for this episode, like Patricia Arquette's shoes. She's wearing the same shoes throughout the entire movie when she's, uh, um, what's her character's name? Uh, the wife. In the Alice movie. or Renee? Renee. Renee. 
Renee. So she's always wearing the same shoes, and that's when she kind of looks a little bit sluttier. She's got the, like, the red hair, the more makeup, and then in the end of the movie, when you see her in the porn, she's wearing the same shoes. Mm-hmm. So it's like clearly like there's a, like, a connection there that he's yeah. filling her in as the woman who cheated on him and was in porn and all this stuff, and that's why he killed her, because he was mad. Or is it just a weird sort of thing? But like even at the end of the movie, there's no such thing as like a, what is it, like a happy coincidence, or what is the line? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. There's also the scene when he's in the garage, and he's hearing his... Uh, saxophone solo over the radio and he just right. almost freaks out it's like these echoes of his world creep in and yeah it, and that's where i think it's like because it's kind of like when things are too much for him he goes to his happy place which is him as this kid but he's never he's the embodiment of you can never get what you want because mm-hmm. as soon as you have it you no longer want it yeah so like the more that happens like as soon as like so his happy place he gets to bang the very angelic but a little bit more forward version of his wife where mm-hmm. she's this perfect thing, but even he can't have that because then he's getting murdered by this mob guy. Like, there's so many, like, yeah, things to pull. Like, that's what I really do love about this movie. I don't think, it's definitely not my favorite movie. I'm not going to go to watch it every time, but whenever you do, there's so many threads you can pull on. It's really fun to kind of unravel. Um, You were saying something else about a different theory. No, weren't you? No, you're talking about the reality one. The, re- the reality, yeah, those two kind of, I like the most, especially since they're at odds. The one where he he died, and it's all kind of his memory of how these things are happening in his last right. moments. So, like the electric shock is like those final six seconds or whatever of life you could experience all this and have echoes. I like that one, and I like the literal one. Yeah, but I like that they're doing like they're arguing in different ways, and you could still kind of place them together yeah, and hold and, up. And the thing is, I don't know if anyone's ever going to get the exact same point of view that Lynch had because I don't think Lynch is ever going to really let us know. Nobody is ever going to have the same point of view as I mean. That's also <laughs> what makes him a very unique filmmaker. Yeah. Is is that like he just has this very skewed view on things, which is really weird because it seems like he's a very normal guy when you talk to him, minus the meat hooks on his <laughs> property and his music. I mean, he's just an artist who this is his outlet. You know, he's not in this for the commercial aspect of it. This is no. Instead of painting, he paints films. Yeah, and it it, it totally it works for yeah. what he wants, and like Absolutely. It, it's it's always kind of a joy to watch. Even if you don't end up liking the movie, it's yeah. still it's You're always a ride worth some taking. Feel well, yeah, into yeah. someone's life, yeah. and it's yeah, it's like I just like it's like I said, it's like I don't like the film, but I respect him. Yeah, I've, and I'll always respect David Lynch for what he brings to uh, filmmaking because I wish we had a little bit more filmmakers like him who are kind of willing just to go like willing to just take risks balls to the wall the, yeah i mean the problem is so i was going to mention this to begin the episode but it didn't feel it felt like more important to bring up later the the problem with lynch uh not artistically is financially he, none of his movies make money so he's a real tough guy to get behind and i can see why especially current standings now where disney's like well we're going to do this movie here because we're going to make a billion dollars we're going to spend 100 million we're going to get back 900 million so it's kind of it's tough to look at somebody like David Lynch, like, all right, we're going to spend $15 million, we're going to get three. So we're spending $12 million to let you go do something. Now's the time when I want David Lynch to be given the, the genre movie. Let's let him do a Moon Knight adaptation. Yeah. Or, <laughs> no, no, no. Let's not have him do the Moon Knight adaptation. Are you let's afraid of any other? Yes, I am very afraid of that movie. You ever see In amazing. the Mouth of Madness where they're talking about the <laughs> yeah. book that drives people mad? That's going to be the movie that drives people mad. <laughs> let's have him do but, the Red well, Hook and, and I, the Outlaws origin story. Fine, go, know? go. Like, <laughs> but that's another <laughs> element, too, is like... I feel like just the world we're living in right now, the kind of the modern age, we're also just not going to these movies. If these movies no, get we're made, we're, right. we would we 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 would wait say for them on Netflix. Didn't yeah, one of these didn't the- Inland Empire or something else come out on VOD at the same time as theaters, or is that not one of these? I mean, Inland Empire was before VOD was a yeah. real big thing. Mm-hmm. But he's right though. I mean, it did come out. I think almost it was one of the first movies that came out simultaneously. I think like at the same because. I don't think VOD was even a thing then. Was it? I mean, like, pay-per-view maybe was. Maybe it was pay-per-view yeah, or something Yeah, but, I mean, like it, it could have been. But, I mean, either way, it, it's like... Because this, I mean, this is the type of movie where we end up kind of doing a little bit of work. And, I, and I'm, not trying yeah. to, I'm not trying to disparage how we watch movies now, but it's a different mindset and a little bit more of an exploratory mindset that was a little bit more uh, popular during well, no, that time. Yeah. And it feels like we're a little bit more... I mean, it's just we're uneasy. As a people, well, well it's because it's, 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 it's a mixture of that, and it's a mixture of like Lynch makes movies that challenge you. And when you're going to spend, say, fifty bucks for you and your significant other to go to a movie and get the popcorn and the soda parking. and all that sort of yeah, parking, all that sort of stuff is going to cost you fifty to sixty bucks. You want to go see a movie that's going to challenge you really hard, or you want to go watch some big explosions? It's like, oh, that was funny. I got to forget everything that Trump said today for two hours. Like, right. It's kind of we're at a point now where people don't want to pay to go see these really kind of troublingly 
difficult films like this one was or like any of his other movies are. Which is sad because it's when we need these challenging films the yeah, most. absolutely. I agree 100%. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I took a five-year-old to like it to it, and I think they uh, thoroughly enjoyed Lost Highway. <laughs> <laughs> Along with their grandmother. Of course. <laughs> who's never seen a movie ever before. It'd be a great one to start on. I mean, like, this is my thing. He's like, I actually would love to, like, take, like, this movie and, like, get an audience of just, like, those types of people and show it to them and then actually record what their reactions yeah, are. Yeah, swap they out, like, uh, going on in it. Oh, swap out the next Marvel movie. Swap out Guardians of the Galaxy 2 with this and just see what people think. And lock the doors yeah, and like, be like, no, 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 they're no. watching this. Yeah, you will see Guardians of the Galaxy 2 for free if you sit through this one first <laughs> and answer this questionnaire afterwards. You get some people, you can get a hell of a reaction. That well, would be an interesting system. I mean, <laughs> theaters did that a long time ago. <laughs> be like you, to buy this, to buy Star Wars, bring Star Wars in, you had to play um, Flowers in the Attic or something yeah. like oh that. Oh my god! <laughs> you know, things like that. Awful. <laughs> a bad example, but like you, you get what I mean. Like, sure, yeah, bundling. You're like, a sick bastard. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I think a good not like I think a good description of how I felt about this movie is uh, the Simpsons. At one point, had a great scene in it. Uh, this is when they were, like the first couple of seasons where Homer is watching Twin Peaks. And he's like, he's like watching the show and they show what he's seeing on the television screen. And it's like one of the characters dancing with a horse and there's a, there's a stoplight hanging off of a tree and everything. And there's this jazz music playing. And then at the end of it, it cut like the light comes back on and you just see it like Homer go, that was brilliant. I have absolutely no idea what it means though. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, let's, let's kind of cut back into a little bit more of our current or our normal fodder. Uh, let's talk uh, Bill Pullman in this movie. He did Bill Pullman pretty I, well. Oh, he Bill Pullman the shit yeah, out of this. Yeah. I think he did better than standard Bill Pullman. Because when I think of standard Bill Pullman, I think the beginning of The Grudge, where he's just kind of an, a doddering old fool who jumps off a ledge. I think a Titan AE. <laughs> the animated one is, yeah, that's definitely classic Bill Pullman. Which is clearly an interpretation of what his mindset was. Yes, like. of course, of course. <laughs> it's a sequel to... <laughs> No, 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 I didn't say it was a sequel. I said that's what he was thinking about the entire time he was recording uh, so his voice. I didn't voice mean to misinterpret you. <laughs> yes. It's, uh, young, younger Bill Pullman is interesting. There's a smolder. There's like a weird kind of thing. There's a, there's a there, something else, like a je ne sais quoi. He looks like, and I would not surprise me, this is very intentional, he looks like a noir anti-hero in this. Yeah, yeah. The, very like, much a lot of the time. Especially that first shot, how they frame him. He's yes. smoking the cigarette. Yep. He's bathed in shadow, and he, he's moving slowly. Like, is it because he just killed his wife? You know what I mean, yeah. like, Who there's knows? a voiceover <laughs> with it where he's kind of like, "Here's the entire plot of the picture." Yeah, you're probably wondering how I got here. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, like, but he does but, have a William Holden like um, yeah. quality to him a little yeah. bit. There, there's a there's a style of movie that Bill Pullman is great for, and I feel like he was born 20 years too late for them. And like it's movies like this that it's like okay, so he can kind of really cut in to what he's good at, and these are the type of movies, the type of parts where it's like the kind of guy you don't really like, who kind of looks like a smarmy piece of shit that's probably killed his wife and a number of other people, <laughs> but he really cuts into those roles really well, and he does a good job, and he can really kind of like he can really chew the scenery in a way that fits the movie. And he'll be president one day. Yeah. Well, he already was. This <laughs> after he got impeached for fucking up that whole thing. Um, but there's a there's a certain charm to him, specifically in Lynch movie, this movie, that I, I really enjoy. That when I watch other movies with him in it, that I kind of go, oh, you are kind of a shitty actor. But you're good in certain things. Well, he's probably one of those guys that really needs the direction of being told what, like, how and where to act and everything else. Like yeah, that. definitely. Uh, like, I mean, like, Independence Day probably got away with it because he was a very vanilla character and he played him very vanilla. Like, and he had so. a real shitty director on... <laughs> Roland Emmerich? No! <laughs> I mean, I don't know about you. I think Godzilla is a milestone of cinema. It's a milestone, but not in the way that it's supposed to be. Or they wanted it to be. Yeah, tell me about it. Um, but You've yeah. even got, like, even to that end, you've even got some uh, hints of Bogart. In them too. Yeah, I could see that. Yeah, yeah just I like you know, that. like in a lo- in a lonely place element, kind of. Yeah, like just kind of stoic. Yeah, if you put him like back right when they first put sound into movies, he'd fit in perfect. Yeah, like he's got that perfect just overacting level. Can't stand it. Yeah, <laughs> and I can't stand it. <laughs> but I, I really like him in this movie, and like that's. It, 
for something that you don't really have a lot that you'll like in a movie, I thought he was great. For me, it was very much a time capsule. I knew exactly when the movie came out just by looking at him and the way he was framed. <laughs> oh, yeah. You look at him and Patricia Arquette, and you're like, oh, this is 1997? Yeah. <laughs> pretty, pretty much. If the uh, Marilyn Manson and Rammstein didn't give it away. Yeah. <laughs> this, this was before. Once they came out, I was like, oh, right. Gotcha. Yeah. David Litch went to a concert of theirs. He's just like, I like you. You should be in one of my films. <laughs> I don't host you. <laughs> Uh, but about Patricia Arquette, I really like. I think she has so much to do in this movie, and I think well, she knocks it out of the park. She looks like a femme fatale, and is I think very yeah. intentionally in a lot yeah. of the different things. But she plays two completely different characters in this movie, and I think she knocks them both out of the park. Oh yeah. Uh, the only problem I had with her, and uh, this could have just been my TV, I couldn't fucking hear her the entire movie. Oh, the entire movie was hard to hear, actually. And very dynamic. Like, she and Bill Pullman did a lot of whispering, and then, like, his saxophone solo is over the top. Yeah, so I so had this movie. About, like, actually, I think that saxophone uh, solo was inspired by a Rammstein. And, <laughs> like, oh, I'm looking at that, I'm like, how the fuck? Fuck! <laughs> is he not having an epileptic seizure on that stage? And this was the inspiration for too many zoos. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, oh my god, I got it. It's actually Whiplash. It's the yeah, sequel. There you go. This yeah. the, it's a prequel. It was whiplash. definitely his fucking tempo. Bill Pullman is actually J.K. Simmons. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he's wearing the same shirt. Yeah, god, why, that actually that actually might have some merit. I mean, Damien Chazelle somewhere's like somebody got it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Fuck La La Land! I don't need to make any films. He got it. You know, modern filmmaking has gotten to Chris too hard when he's trying to fit Lost Highway into another franchise. Yeah. (laughs) Or trying to consider Whiplash a franchise. Mm. Um, So, yes, Patricia Arquette. Uh, Which role do you like her better in? Uh, The very end. The more kind of, as he gets more into his fantasy, what he wants. she just becomes more dangerous. Like she fits that femme fatale thing. It starts to yeah. hit that noir element, and I'm more geared toward noir. So I, I see this kind of. Okay, here's an interesting thing. Would you say that she actually plays the two different types of females that we typically see in film noir films? And what I mean by that is that I'm gonna connect it to Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Not not that way. No no not that way. But just <laughs> no. bear with me and stuff. Yeah, yeah. Where, um, He's actually... You have Joanna Cassidy's character, and you have Kathleen Turner's character. So you have Joanna Cassidy who plays Dolores, who is his. Who is his like normal girlfriend and everything? Right. Who works the diner? And then you have Kathleen Turner, who plays or voices Jessica Rabbit, who's the femme fatale and is buxom babed and everything else like that. Would you say that Patricia Arquette plays both of those kind of? Um, I don't want to say stereotypes, but, but no, um, they are they're noir stereotypes. Yeah, but you know yeah. what I mean, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. Every good noir always has two females. I've noticed, and it. she they have one she plays that's both a straight them, yeah. one, and they have one that's a femme fatale, and she plays both of them. I feel like yeah, in this picture. I, 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 totally. I think you're you're right on point with that. It, it's it's interesting because especially Bill Pullman characters, and then later, uh, what's the other actor's name? Um, Robert Loggia. Is he the second Bill Pullman? Oh no, I forget the actor's name who played. Um, There's like one of those guys who I've never seen in anything. Kmart else. Charlie Sheen. <laughs> No, it's actually Charlie Sheed when he's healthy. Um, uh, Kmart Charlie Sheed. Please Shane. tell me it's Emilio Estevez. Please, let's oh just remove no, that. It's not. It's not. It's, not, no, it's, not. Um, it's Balthazar Getty. I was Thank thinking, you, I was thinking, Balthazar. Oh, I knew it was man, I want to meet this guy. I want to meet this guy's he, parents. I, I got either one. No. I, I got vibes of like Ferris Bueller, like he, Charlie Sheen and Ferris Bueller. Like, sure. Yeah. But what you're saying is, so I like that. Both of them, I, I feel like Balthazar's character wanted the Bill Pullman's wife, and Bill Pullman's character wanted the Balthazar's wife. Ah, you got a fair point there. And I, I think, think it's kind of cool that they both, it's that constant, you can't get what you want. And I right. like that, like, both of them, especially if it's Bill Pullman, like, putting his own mind into things, creates a universe where he's still not going to get what he wants. Mm-hmm. But he'll get what he needs. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, the other character I want to bring up, uh, I'm, I'm fucking horrible, and then the internet's not working, and all these other excuses. Oh, please uh, tell me you're getting to Kabuki, man. No, I'm saving him for last. Oh, God. Um, he isn't in our house yet. Yeah. Well, he's probably at our house. Oh, house. no, don't do that. that is, oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and the mob boss. Um, Robert, Robert Loja. Yes, Loja. yes, Robert Loja. Um now, he has one of the best scenes in any David Lynch film. Are you talking ever. about when he beats the crap out yes, of that guy? Absolutely. It's one of the Read best scenes. Read the manual. <laughs> <laughs> I loved that because I had a uh, visceral reaction to four way stops here in LA. Yeah. yeah, and like that entire scene is so good, and he is so good <laughs> in it. And if you don't know, we're kind of skipping around it, but it's a scene where he's driving through a canyon highway and is getting tailgated, and then basically waves the guy past him and then runs him off the road and beats the shit out of him for not being a considerate driver and tailgating. Oh, I love that scene. And it's such a it is one of the scenes that I've seen like 
referenced many, many times, and I've seen many times after I saw the movie, because it's a very, very comedic scene in a not funny movie. Six the- car lengths. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But that's the, it's, it's one of those. You could tell that David Lynch had an experience like yes. this. <laughs> that one, I feel like, is the one where he's like, "No, actually, I want you all to fucking know what I mean in this scene." Six car legs, read your goddamn manuals. But it's those elements that really kind of stand out and really strengthen just the rest of it because there's yeah. these odd humor moments, and the Coen Brothers do this in a more subtle way in their movies. Well, Tarantino also does it in a way, and also like and everything. But these are all people that I think are are emulating or paying homage to Lynch. Oh, I agree. So well, because yeah. it's that it's that perfect thing where Lynch says his movies aren't horror movies, or dramas, or comedies. Like he's like, no, I just make movies that are these, and it's these sorts of moments. Well, he's that like, I make films that are films. I think that's. Yeah. The, I think what is. I, did he say that? I'm not sure. I'm not but sure. But I think that's I think a good it was something simple. Yeah, but it, it's moments like these that nail that really drive that home where like when Tarantino says I don't make comedies like, yeah but you kind of do they're all funny like they, they're all that way whereas yeah. Lynch he makes a movie that will scare the shit out of you and make you laugh and cry and all those sort of things throughout the entire movie and this is like that crowning moment for me where it's like that was a very funny scene now let me ask you something uh, did you like Robert Loesch's character in this better than uh, Dennis Hopper's character in Blue Velvet or the other way around well they're they're very different characters but that's like Dennis Hopper's like crowning achievement of acting that's such because he's playing Dennis Hopper yeah <laughs> <laughs> but I, I love Robert Loesch in this movie and I, I really like that, that specifically that scene I'm not sure if I'd even really give a shit about him in this movie if it wasn't for that scene the only thing that would have made it better is if immediately afterwards uh, it's revealed that this is the same Robert Loja who's in the orange juice commercial and you know exactly <laughs> what I'm talking about for any of you who don't know or were born too late Robert Loja is considered to be one of those epitome badasses and at one point in time he did a Tropicana orange or like it was I don't know Florida's natural and it's almost Lynchian the way that they actually <laughs> had this habit because his kid refuses to drink his orange juice and his parents say, well, what if we got Robert Loja to tell you the orange juice was good? And he goes, you're never going to get Robert Loja to come in. <laughs> and then Robert Loja shows up and it is like, you're just sitting there going, who fucking thought of this? It's it's pretty amazing. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, it, like I said, and that's actually a kind of a Lynchian commercial. And they're all on uh, they're on YouTube, but you can find them. They're oh, yeah, and it's, looking up. yeah, and like I said, you're looking at this thing and you're going, what the fuck? Yeah. Um, but the there's uh, one other person I want to talk about in this movie. That I'm Richard Pryor. Richard Pryor is in this film, ladies I mean, and gentlemen. For all of two minutes. I don't care. It's Rich, <laughs> Richard Pryor, it Silver a, Streak, Superman that 3. Was, that was a weird moment because when I saw him on the cast list as I was renting the movie, it was like, yeah, I wonder if he's in this for like two minutes. Yeah. <laughs> and was, then to be right, I was like, this movie is I creeping me out. I would have loved it if actually the deal was and stuff is that David Lynch just saw him like walking down the street and go, Hey, Richard. Hi, David. You want to be in the film for a couple of shots? Okay. <laughs> Let's, I mean, it really wants I mean, uh, David Lynch really likes comedy. Like, he's a very big, like, comedian fan. Well, he like, even cast a lot of comedians in his pictures. Yeah. You know, th- he was even in, uh, he was in Louie for an episode. Like, yeah. he, he's clearly really into comedians. So it wouldn't surprise me if just he and Richard Pryor were friends. And he's like, hey, I've got a, a part if you want it. Absolutely. Or he's, yeah. he's like, I've never had Richard Pryor in one of my movies. What yeah. a star. I got to get him in. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So well, it's probably why, he, like, he is known for that those comedic touches and why it works so well. Yeah, he's because yeah, he's, he's a funny guy. Like if you well, watch, you watch Twin, no Twin Peaks is hysterical at yeah. points. Yeah, he he knows comedy. He just doesn't make straight out comedies. Um, and I would, I would almost argue that he's the only one who can master that tone jump. Like he's the only one who like I feel like comparatively he just. I'm not, it's, sure it's, 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 I'm not sure if he's the only guy. Yeah, I, said yeah, Cohen, sure. I see Cohen's could be him running for his money. Oh yeah, but I mean, it's it's very different. I mean, there's but he, there's he does very, it so stark, and he's like he tone jumps off the cliff, and you're still with him. I mean, but that's I mean that's what kind of what Kubrick was known for too. Like you watch the first half of Full Metal Jacket and the second half, they're two different movies. Yeah, it's the same with like uh, Orange. Is the, uh, no, wow, Orange is the New Black. Apparently, <laughs> Clockwork Orange. <laughs> <laughs> now there's a fusion Whoa. show that I want to make. <laughs> But like, Orange is the new Clockwork Orange. <laughs> orange is the new Clockwork. It's a very different movie. Oh my god! But Clockwork Orange is the new Black. Yeah, right. But yeah. Either what I was saying is like, yeah. but like those are the same sort of guy who like they do big tonal shifts halfway through the movie that really modern audiences don't have the patience for. Like you try to pull that shit nowadays and I'm just like, what the fuck just happened? Well, uh, I mean, Kubrick and uh, Lynch are very cerebral filmmakers. We don't yeah. have a lot of cerebral filmmakers. No, we we have, have a lot of emotional filmmakers. Like Spielberg is emotional. Sure. Um, Bay is emotional. 
I know what I just said. You're, but not, I, you're, not, I'm not, wrong. Wrong. you're but not wrong. You're not wrong about this. You didn't you say good it. filmmaker. You I said did, emotional. I said emotional <laughs> filmmakers. Um, I would I would argue that. But Abrams, Nolan is a what he Nolan thinks he's a cerebral filmmaker. He'll, he'll tell you that in every movie he makes. Yes, but he's actually an emotional filmmaker. All you got to right. do is look at the Love is the only thing that can transcend time and space. Shut, Shut up, Shut the Nolan. fuck up. <laughs> <laughs> It's always nice to talk to somebody else who hates Interstellar as much as I do. Uh, oh, oh, my friend. We have, <laughs> <laughs> I have people you should talk to. A friendship uh, forging but space. But what we were saying is, and I, I think it's there's so many movies that you can pull from, especially in Lynch's like catalog, that are just this like, perfect depiction of like cerebral of this like mental like jump. It's like kind of like when you're by yourself in a room and you're like, what was I just thinking about? Cause you're like, go from a to B and none of it makes sense. And he just totally puts that on screen in a way that like, it's kind of nice. It's like seeing train of thought unfold on screen. And this is, and, and this may sound like a joke coming from me, but it's not, it is literally my uh, experience going to any place for like getting groceries or supplies at like a target or uh, a grocery store. Yeah. I walk in there and suddenly I don't know where I am. Yeah. It's like, and like, uh, there's this weird existential, like complete vacuum that happens. It's like, uh, I didn't get socks. Why do I have a copy of game of Thrones on Blu-ray in my hand? Like what right. the fuck is happening? Okay. I'm going to make a connection to a movie and I'm not doing this jokingly, but I'm going to make a connection to it specifically because of what the filmmaker said, because he actually has a point to it. But I would say a, a film that, disguises itself as emotional but is a little bit more cerebral and I know I'm going to be you're going to look at me like what the fuck are you talking about is Scott Pilgrim versus the world go on um because I think you're giving that movie too much credit but go on no 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 no, no. I could be completely <laughs> as someone who loves that movie I'm with you I'm with you <laughs> uh, no well here's the deal and stuff is, is that that movie and this is why I'm making the connection to it to Lost Highway and I'm actually trying to make a semi-serious connection to it is is that Edgar Wright and Brian Lee O'Malley have both agreed that they said, like, oh, so this is actually happening, and they both have flat out said, no. It's, it's Scott Pilgrim versus the world is actually not happening in the real world. They're like, well, where it's happening at, it goes, it's happening wherever you want it to happen at. Sure. And everything, because the idea behind, and one of the ideas behind it is that this is how Scott is viewing his relationship with his girlfriend and everything yeah, of else course. in yeah. his own mind and yeah. stuff. And I feel like, if you're going to be introducing yourself to Lynch, um, if you haven't seen him and stuff, that's actually a good way to think about it, is that you're not watching the real world. You're watching what's happening or how people are interpreting it in their own minds. Yeah, you're watching a, a narrator's yeah. point of view. Now, it might not be the same narrator. It might change mid-movie. There's a lot of things that could happen. So I'm talking mostly about Inland Empire there. Um, but like you're, you're getting somebody's take on events that probably happened. As long as there's good pie, I'm good. And it's <laughs> something you can translate to something more mundane. If you actually took the logic down like well, so like this obviously is not this so when you when you look at lost highway and you break it down to what the the whole movie is really about it's about a man whose wife got bored of the marriage cheated on him and he killed her right yeah well it's like <laughs> maholland drive for instance well it's kind of interesting because we were talking about this before maholland drive is almost like a remake of lost highway a brilliant it's very remake. similar yes. there's a lot of ideas that he started in lost highway that he then brought into maholland drive yes I usually say he perfected Mulholland Drive, but I don't want to piss everybody off. I'm with but you on that But he perfected them in Mulholland Drive. <laughs> but you were saying. But no, I agree, well, I agree with you about yeah. that one and stuff. I mean, like like I said, Lynch and Kubrick, and I'm going to, like I said, I know I keep making this connection, but it's kind of true and everything. Lynch it and works, Kubrick yeah. are also very much interested when I also said they're in the cerebral. They're also very much in, kind of, like in a mode of trying to activate, I think, parts of your brain that are not usually activated when you see a film nor do people are, are people comfortable having them activated when they go watch pictures. Yeah, for sure. Like that's like the my the first David Lynch movie I saw in theaters was Mulholland Drive. I'd mm -hmm. seen other of his movies before that, but that was the first one I actually saw in theaters. And I remember it was particularly like the scene within the uh, the diner where they see the devil outside or whatever you take him as. Like that scene is like I was so like mortally like uncomfortable, like mortified. It was just like the fuck is happening in this movie and like it just kind of just like unearths things in you that you don't really want to have unearthed while watching a movie and i think lost highway did that for a lot of people far before Mulholland drive ever did yeah right and it's like with the clockwork orange it's like uh kubrick what he did is is that he forces you to sympathize with a rapist murderer yeah and that's and, a very and, interesting thing to like <laughs> examine through the lens of today and this movie oh, yeah and, and if you take a look at this movie this movie you could really take it as you're watching a guy try to prove to you that nothing is his fault so he didn't murder he didn't have to he didn't murder his wife because she was cheating on him murder because she was doing all these other things she was in porn and all this and she betrayed his trust and all this so it's like it's a whole movie that it's like beat by beat by beat 
I did these things because I was pushed into it. It's not my fault. So if you take him at his explanation. It's not your fault. Yeah. <laughs> it's not your fault. That's all he needed was Robin Williams yeah, to show up Robin, and just say that. It's not your fault. God, if we, only, if we had a film with Robin Williams and a David Lynch movie, that would have been a combination. Yeah, been a weird but it's one. an interesting, it forces you to kind of um, address the this thing in like, I don't know, the male psyche. At a certain age, you start to lash out. You start to feel yeah. like these yeah. this, this this rage, but rage is not the right word. This oh, it works just, in this movie. Yeah, there's you a want, lot of rage. You want to dominate. You want to dominate. You yeah. want to conquer. You want to. You're con- you're carnivorous, right? You know, you yeah. want to. No, you're right. Tear you apart. Right path. Yeah, like there's a primal thing that, it, it, you know, just speculating here is something as you're getting into your adult years, as you yeah. kind of go from teenager to adult, you're just wrestling with that. It's why like <laughs> puberty and teenager that time frame is so miserable. Yeah. But because I think this like that's this movie's a perfect explanation of why your late thirties, early forties could be just as miserable. Well, yeah, that's like the next stage in evolution. If this is yeah. if this were Pokemon, <laughs> this is the second stage evolution, right? But it's like terrible. So you say if Pokemon, you be char- I think Digimon and they're gonna digivolve. <laughs> By the way, the new Digimon was fantastic. If nobody watched it, nope, just me. That's what I thought. But again, it's it's interesting. Like I this is the first time I saw this movie. Which yeah. is weird. It was a, w- a blind that spot. That blows my mind. Knowing you and what movies you're into, I'm so surprised you never went to this. And that's movie the thing. Before. I wish I could have. I wish I would have, you know, just seen it back in the earlier. Like this feels like one that you would have gone out of your way to go see, like in the music box when you're in school or something. Right. Like, right. Yeah. Just these weird blind spots pop up, and there are always movies that have like this. I w- would have seen this very differently back then versus yeah, today. And today I'm seeing it through a very different lens and a very specific and academic and almost just from today. And it's weird. Yeah, it's kind of tough to watch movies like as we have to because we're watching them with the idea of breaking them down to their very core and critiquing them. Yeah. So it's a little tough. I, I feel like I watch movies now differently because of our podcast than I used to before where I could just sit down like, ooh, yeah. what's this? And just let it wash over me. And now it's like, all right, now how am I going to pick this thing apart? And yeah, and I feel like this thing never had a chance to wash over me just at an earlier age, a more kind of an age that was closer to the <laughs> the rage, I guess, of, of this. Well, I feel like there was like... Uh, uh, a different connect a connecting point. I don't think this movie really washes over anyone though. I, I think that's kind of the point. It's supposed to slam into you. Like a sneaker wave. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, just like a sneaker wave. <laughs> like, a, like a car on a lost highway. Yeah. <laughs> uh or is there anything else that we haven't no, yeah, we haven't oh, talked no, about Robert Blake. Yeah. Robert Blake. Holy shit. Ooh, I almost skipped Robert Blake. Now, can you imagine being in the seventies and eighties, kids? Go back in time with me. You see Beretta, and you like Beretta, and everybody enjoys Beretta, and you follow Robert Blake, who looks like a Robert Robert Forster, who looks like a Robert Tommy Lee Jones, and Robert Blake is kind of the straight and narrow. You just you just recently <laughs> saw him, you just recently saw him in Money Train, that wonderful film with Woody Harrelson and Wesley Snipes, and then you see him in this bat shit crazy. <laughs> My my favorite thing about Robert Blake in this movie is that he designed the look of his character. Yes, like really? when I yeah. read that, I was like, I was like, holy shit! You yeah. are. I would never want to be in a room by myself yeah. with you, He's aside an, from the other things yeah, that happen. He, he is an odd dude for sure. Oh yeah. my! And this God. is also the last thing he was ever in. Mm-hmm. This is his swan song uh, before the other along before with Richard Pryor. Yeah, yeah, before he became uh, OJ 2.0. Yeah, before he kind of went little baddie. Um, but yeah, there, there's something about his character in this movie that like it, it brings a whole nother level to this thing. It was already weird and crazy and strange. And then this guy enters and it's just like, what the fuck am I watching? Well, how did he's introduced? He looks like Bella Lugosi. Like he looks like fucking Dracula's <laughs> little emaciated brother. Yeah. Like just comes in there and he just, he looks like a vampire. This is yeah. clearly Bill Pullman's anchor into Crazy Town. It's like, oh, well, that dude is clearly the reason I'm two different people. Oh, yeah, definitely. And in- interesting you mentioned that, too, because he hands Bill Pullman the knife at the end, which connects to that whole, like, this is all happening to me. I'm yeah. doing this because of other people. Let's also, fir- let's also first talk about this. The interesting thing is we're introduced to Robert Burke without being introduced to Robert Burke because if Blake. you guys re- Blake. No. Blake. I'm so sorry, guys. Robert Blake. <laughs> I was getting it mixed up with another guy. Um, to Robert Blake, um, when they're having sex, and imagine oh Patricia God. Arquette's face 
replaced with a very early CGI mat. <laughs> that was so bad. <laughs> a rubber blade. The thing is, I let if it looked good, I would have liked it less. Like I, yeah. I like, agree with you. Yeah. I actually like the fact that it looked kind of low rent yeah. in it. Yeah, like, I think that kind of makes it a little creepier, and like the because it's like kind of like moving around a and little that, bit. Yeah, that fucking line, like where like uh, we've met before. Uh, where did we met before? In your house. Don't you remember? It's like, oh, it's so fucking creepy. <laughs> no, no, you got to do it right. In your house. <laughs> Don't you remember? But yeah, Actually, I, I can't even do it right because he yeah. says it in this weirdly monotone way. It's like he almost came up with his own accent for the character. Like, yeah. there's such a weird cadence to the way he talks. It's just creepy. Yeah, there, there's so much like. You could, what, there's so much to say about this guy where you really can't say anything about him because that's the point of the character. Look, parents, if you really want to discipline your kids, here's what you do. You show them this movie and then you tell them that if you don't do what I fucking tell you, Robert Blake is going to visit our house. <laughs> <laughs> that guy, I'll invite him. And he shows up when he's wanted. Yeah. <laughs> you know that. He said it in the movie. You want me to call him up right now? I mean, he might be at the house, little Timmy, if you don't brush your teeth. <laughs> but he is. He, he is just undeniably freaky in this movie. And it's another reason why I, I love this. Like, I don't love this movie, but I really, really like it. Like I said, I don't love it. I, I don't like it, but I respect it. <laughs> I really like it. It just, there's, a, I, I want, I really want to articulate what I don't like about it, but I have no idea what it is. There's just something that just falls just a little short for me. Well, he's just, like I said, Lynch is a brilliant filmmaker. Absolutely. Yeah. You, can't, you may not like his films, but you can't deny the man knows what the fuck he's doing. Oh, absolutely, yeah. And it, it, this is a perfect example of like I don't think it's his best movie. I, I don't, I, I don't necessarily agree with that article that came out for the BBC that said the Mulholland Drive is the best movie in the past twenty years either. But like, there's definitely there's a certain credibility that David Lynch brings to every movie he makes. That like they're all definitely worth your time, even the three fucking hour long Inland Empire. Which is just a mind fuck. It's still worth seeing at least once. Also, I mean, almost being too simplistic about it, there's a coldness that at the end of this movie, it's like I get what was going what was going on here. I appreciate the filmmaking, love what he was doing with it. I just don't like. I don't connect. And we all know that Sixteen Blocks, starring Most Deaf and Bruce Willis, is the best movie of the past twenty years. <laughs> of course, clearly, <laughs> there's no movie that's the best of the past twenty years that doesn't have Most Deaf in it. <laughs> oh, I thought you were gonna say Bruce Willis. <laughs> <laughs> no. Ryan, uh, you've been so quiet this episode. The first time you chime up in a while is to make a Bruce Willis joke. It's always, <laughs> I've just been chiming in with jokes. Yeah, it's because no longer I just, bro- it's all so, Ryan. Actually, guys, we're actually staring at Robert Blake's face <laughs> on top of Ryan's body, and it's moving ever so slightly across his face. So then We've I'm met before. Yeah. <laughs> so then I'm curious, kind of, where do you fall on that spectrum of kind of what happened and what the meaning is? Like, when someone asks you, like, well, what well, was that movie all about? I mean, I kind of took it for face value. Like, there's some weird body swap, Freaky Friday shit going on. But <laughs> I really like that it's um, Bill Pullman not being able to deal with him, his own brain. That, yeah. That's cool, too. That, I think that's my favorite theory. Because it just makes it kind of a more fucked up movie. Yeah. Of just like, he's so unstable that he just can't handle his own life. Yeah. Um, but I, I, as much as we could just keep unraveling this onion for days, and many people have. And like I said, I'll, I'll we'll compile off some links. We'll have them on our website if you want to go read and go down the rabbit hole. There's one that I particularly <laughs> like. It says uh, it's Talk You Bored, and that one is fantastic because he does talk you bored. By the <laughs> end of it, he's just talking about Robert Blake's life. and like He just goes completely unraveled. So it's kind of a fun read if you have like an hour and a half to read the whole thing. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I think we should move into quotes, 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 quotes. Uh, would anybody like to go first? I'm going to let John go first because his is mine probably. I really stick – I'm sticking with the line of uh, I like to remember things my own way, how I remembered them, not necessarily the way they happened. Sure. Because it was like – I you know kind of ignored the line at, at first when the movie started, but as we got through, I was just like, hold up. It could be the most important line in the whole movie. It could be the most – it could <laughs> oh, be the crux Lynch of right it. there. Yeah. Like, <laughs> something that's just whispered. Because yeah. that Lynch, line – the perfect guy for you cannot take a bathroom break. Because the movie up until then is very slow, mm-hmm. and I found myself distracted a lot in the very beginning of the movie. And probably <laughs> the beginning is the most crucial. Yep. Because it like so like there was like this war of just like what's going on? I can't see anything. And then this line comes in, and I'm like, okay, that's fine. wait, hold on, this is an important line. Yep. And it just led to the rest of the movie. I mean, it's why I think what happened happened the way I, I yeah. said earlier. For sure. Yeah. Uh, I'm gonna go next because mine is just it's a line that one of the cops who's following bill pullman number two uh 
makes a comment about when he first goes to bang Patricia Arquette, and it's a brilliantly written line that's just truly disgusting. <laughs> um, he walks into the house with Patricia Arquette, and the guy just looks at him and goes, fucker gets more pussy than a toilet seat. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh. It's really 90s. It's very 90s, and it's just you disgusting. You never hear that line today ever in a film. No, unless it's like the the worst horrible bad guy who would say it, and then he gets killed later. Like, that's the only time that line would ever fly to it. This is a fucking cop. <laughs> like, it's just like, ugh. Well, it's like, what is it? That one line that they have in Usual Suspects where like, he's, he, he, where you just see Stephen Baldwin when he's setting up the rifle. He just goes, and people, I don't mean this, but I got to say the line, Oswald was a fag. <laughs> it's like, you're like, I'm like, man, you would never hear, you would never hear anybody say that nope. in any movie now. God, it's, it was just a rough line that really just stuck out to me because it was like one of those things where like, I have so much shit I'm doing during the weeks right now. I'm sweeps and I work in TV, so there's a lot going on. And that was one of the lines when I had kind of drifted for a second. I was reading some emails, and I just heard that one. And went, ugh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I thought John was going to take the uh, the the whole read the fucking manual yeah. bit. Uh, I find that line hilarious. You actually took also- my backup line instead. So I'm actually going <laughs> to pull out uh, a line that we didn't really talk about much, but may have been more key to the dual duality oh, okay. of the characters than we realize. It's when he, they're fucking in front of the car. And he goes, I want you, I want you, I want you. And Patricia Arquette says, you'll never have me. And then he's back to Bill Pullman. Fuck, that's a good one. Yeah. <laughs> God, there's good moments like, in this movie. Not being able to have her takes him out of his fantasy, maybe? I yeah. Mean, who knows? Could be. Yeah. I'm, the more we're talking about it, the more I like this movie. <laughs> Read the fucking manual! <laughs> I mean, it's a great line, but I really, I mean, you know offense. I think your line's an excellent choice. I still think the line that follows it... If, when he apologizes to the characters, like tailgating is just something I can't tolerate. Yeah, <laughs> it's just like it's just so. Yeah, you gotta do it right. Where he just goes, tailgating is something I just can't tolerate. <laughs> Billy, your mom is right. Tropicana orange juice is over. Has all the vitamins and minerals that you need for the day. So the review system for today, uh, it's going to be inspired by something Chris has mentioned many times today: Kubrick movies. So any Kubrick film to review <laughs> this one. Might be a little tough, but I'll let Chris go first because he seems to have Kubrick on the brain. Eyes wide shut. Okay. <laughs> Any reason why? No. <laughs> uh, no, I didn't actually. Truth be told, I mean, I keep saying I didn't want. I just didn't want to say. Actually, you know what? I'm gonna go with The Shining because just like okay. this movie, you could have multiple meanings with that one. Whereas I feel like you know, Clockwork Orange is only one meaning that you can go with that one after a certain sure. time and everything. But Shining, you can take his horror movie you know you know it's yeah. shining how could you not love it i know a lot of people who don't oh, fuck them <laughs> i totally agree <laughs> uh but in a similar likeness i'm gonna go 2001 okay. space odyssey because it is it, it's another movie that for when i saw it as a kid it scared the shit out of me like just scared the shit out of me the whole Hal thing for some reason the monkeys in the beginning scared me for some reason you like, should it, they invented murder <laughs> Spoiler warning, yeah. <laughs> a bunch of monkeys invent murder at the beginning of this picture. But it's is—it's a very uneasy movie that can be interpreted many, many, many different ways. And I, that's kind of why I think they're, if you like that one, you'll probably like this one. Too. And talk about scores used to uh, unnerve you. Yeah, absolutely. Like yeah. The, cor- the chorus in 2001, yeah. and then you've got the, the use of just Bowie and Rammstein. Like they, they use music and, and Marilyn Manson. And Marilyn Manson, yeah, in just masterful ways to give you a sense of just... What is going on? Yeah. I don't like it. I, I feel like I should mention now that you just said that uh, this is one of Chewie's favorite uh, soundtracks to a film ever made. I mentioned it before when I promoted the episode. She's it's got a very good choice. It's yeah. a very solid soundtrack. Yeah. Sorry. Go I ahead, John. Did you have one? better. <laughs> it, this is funny. I'm actually going to do Eyes Wide Shut. Okay. Uh, <laughs> it, it, it's, it's Kubrick's uh, more uh, less literal, more cerebral, kind of more more toward Lynch yeah, I agree than with that. his more literal yeah, end of his other movies. And I like that's where he was like they were friends for a little bit Ryan last uh, one at least what's that one what's that one left uh, Barry there, Lyndon there's, there's a few yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely that's what I was thinking Clockwork Orange because I kind of had the same like horrified look on my face the entire film <laughs> like oh what's happening <laughs> Clockwork Orange when I what was is in, this about yeah when I was in high school that was my favorite movie and I told everyone that's my favorite movie now that I'm in, like in my 30s I'm like I don't think that I want that to be my favorite movie. That's just no, too you, depressing. It's okay. <laughs> it's like, hey, look, man, I was that kid in high school that was like, I love The Crow, and if you don't yeah. like The Crow, yeah. there's something wrong with you, because The Crow is all about angst and love and everything. See, that's exactly what I said about Clockwork Orange, and then I get all my friends to watch this movie full of rape and murder, and they're like, you're 
fucking gross, man. <laughs> You're kind of dark. Yeah. <laughs> and now I'm just like, nah, Terminator 2 is the best movie ever made. The rest of you can fuck there you off. Go. Yeah. <laughs> uh, okay, so that'll bring today's episode to a close. What's next week? The battle. It's, no, it's no, the no, superhero. It's, the, no, wait, not what do we call it? It's the blockbuster, blockbuster roundup. So this will be, uh, we have Alex Marshall Brown. She's confirmed that she's going to be here. And it's going to be the rest of us. And we are talking about uh, movies that, not to sound rude, we don't want to waste an entire episode on. Uh, so that's <laughs> movies that like, there's, a, there's stuff to say. We enjoyed or didn't enjoy watching them. And there's stuff to talk about. But do we really want to talk for a whole hour about them and kind of tell you everything that you've heard from every other movie outlet out there? No, right. but we'll give you our two cents. We'll talk about them. We'll kind of fun with them. I uh, will talk to you for days about the brilliance of Bad Boys 2. So this is better, that better <laughs> not be not, one of the films. No, we're, we're, we're going a little one. bit more current than that. So the movies on the docket, we have X-Men Apocalypse, uh, Suicide Squad, Doctor Strange, Finding Dory, and... Tarzan. Tarzan. The Legend of Tarzan. Ooh, Tarzan would uh, be curious. Which, funny uh, funny enough, I watched the Disney, tar- like the uh, cartoon Tarzan last night. Oh, perfect. <laughs> yeah. Just like, I, I don't know. Yeah. Like, did, it take all, did it take out all of the uh, white nationalism and colonialism and that type of thing? <laughs> no, it's uh, old no, enough no. to have that it, in. It doubled yeah. down. Yeah. Double down. <laughs> it doubled down. <laughs> <laughs> no, as a matter of fact, it's just, it, actually, it's, it swung into it I instead mean, of I out mean, of it. Phil Collins sung like the whole soundtrack, so. Oh, ugh. <laughs> I fucking hate Phil Collins. <laughs> like Phil Collins. <laughs> I, I totally agree with Sing Street with no women can ever truly love a man who listens to Phil Collins. Um, but yeah, so I'm really looking forward to that episode. Then we got a whole bunch of stuff coming up in March, including a kaiju battle, which should be a lot of fun. We have an anime battle. We're doing two battles in March. Uh, keep looking at our blog. We had, yeah. uh, I think mine was the last one that came out. Uh, we didn't have a new one this past week. But uh, uh, Elliot did. Oh, we did. We had Elliot's the yeah. one that just came out, and that one is. Uh, that was a really fun read, and it kind of made me wish that he had been in charge of Men in Black Three as opposed to what we got. Right. Uh, uh, we actually had a comment on that, so that was. Oh, cool. did we? That's yeah. fun. Um, let's celebrate our one comment. <laughs> we're, we're, we've made it. We've made it. Shut uh, everything down. And then you can check out our uh, no longer live stream of uh, Watch Dogs Two, where we sat on a couch and we ran the San Francisco Marathon, <laughs> like I wrote so on the social media in what? true. <laughs> podcast fashion we sat for this marathon yes <laughs> uh it was a lot of fun I, I had fun doing it uh and we have some more on the docket that we're going to try to do here including trying to make ryan play demons no. oh. <laughs> yes you just have to remember parrying is important and they don't really tell you well how to do it but if you <laughs> can learn how to parry you win demon souls yep um, good luck but with yeah that. so we have all this stuff coming up so please keep coming to our website which is athpod.com uh, and then you can follow us on Twitter, ATH underscore podcast. You can follow us everywhere else, ATH podcast. You can email us at ATH podcast at gmail.com. Uh, anything else I'm missing? I think that's everything. Rate review us on iTunes. We always appreciate that. That's a big help. Uh, Those rates and reviews will do actually put us up in listings. If yes. Enough we, of them happen at once. So we greatly appreciate that. We know there's a billion movie podcasts out there. So we appreciate you listening to this one. So please tell your friends. And anything else? Chris, you said you had nothing to plug. No, um, you know, I'm going to start a Genesis uh, blog, though, now in defense of uh, Phil Collins and everything we discuss. <laughs> Great. Stay tuned. We'll yes. have one reader, and his name is Phil Collins. <laughs> <laughs> no, I got nothing. Perfect. All right. So All right. thank you, everyone, and goodbye. Goodbye. Peace. Baby. So please, save the last dance for